everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, July 1st, 2018. The anonymous Newman Enterprises hacker has not only breached Newman Enterprises' firewall and gotten a hold of company documents, but they've also managed to get a hold of Victor's personal medical records and have leaked them to the media. It seems that Victor has been keeping a medical condition that he has been diagnosed with a complete secret from us, <laughs> the audience, and also from his family and from everyone he works with. He didn't want anyone to know this, and now it's out there in the world. I was waiting all week, every single episode, for YNR to reveal to us what Victor's mystery ailment is. And as far as I could tell, I don't think anybody ever said exactly what it is that's wrong with Victor. Presumably, Victor had to then have a conversation with Nikki about it, and I assume he gave her all of the details, but she didn't really tell us the audience either. So I don't know what's wrong with Victor. I don't know how serious it is, if it's at all serious. Of course, he wants to make everyone think that it's nothing. It's nothing. Because this news of a, his medical condition has been picked up by the media, who also is not being specific about what the condition is. If the medical records are out, nobody's saying what's going on. Uh, all that Victor is noticing, though, is that this bad press and this news about his health is threatening his business. All of his business partners and clients and even employees, they're all starting to pull away from the company, afraid that without Victor at the helm, the entire ship is going to sink. Do all of Victor's business partners and clients think that he's going to live forever? <laughs> Shouldn't they be kind of prepared for the possibility that something might happen to him and that he might have to name a successor? I mean, I know Victor thinks that he's going to live forever, but surely everyone else is aware that he is eventually going to die. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, what the heck does Newman Enterprises even do? <laughs> By the way, what does the business actually do these days? Consolidating of other businesses and sometimes getting into the cosmetics game? Uh, <laughs> apps? They do apps sometimes? They do a little bit of everything, apparently. Well, <laughs> Victor has to get ahead of this bad press, so he decides to go on to the Hillary Hour and give an interview to address all of these rumors that are out there, and it created for us, Y&R fans, kind of an intriguing moment of art imitating life because Eric Braden also this week had to issue a statement about his own health. I feel a little bit guilty for the, for contributing to the rumors because we chatted about this 
several months back, maybe not several, but at least a month back, noting that Eric Braden seemed a little feeble, that he was limping a little bit and seemed like maybe he was having trouble saying his lines. And we fans were looking at it thinking, okay, is Victor Newman just recovering from the stroke and everything that's gone on with him? Or is Eric Braden maybe possibly going through some kind of medical crisis of his own? So right as Victor is issuing his public statement, Eric Braden is also issuing his public statement saying basically, I'm fine. It's called acting. That's what I do. <laughs> I, I, I'm inclined to believe him. Eric Braden seems to me like a straight shooter. And I mean, once a month, there are rumors circling around him that he's retiring from YNR. It's never true. He's said it a million times. He's never retiring. He's fine. So I'm going to take what Eric Braden said at face value for Eric Braden's health. But Victor, on the other hand, is trying to cover up what's really going on with him. We know as the audience that Victor doesn't appear to be doing very well. Or is he? He goes on this interview with the Hillary Hour, and while he's conducting the interview on a live broadcast, it's very clear that he he's weak. He holds a glass of water in his hand and accidentally drops it. It crashes to the floor and spills everywhere. He is trying to carry on a, a coherent conversation and he's forgetting where he was. He's losing his train of thought. And on top of it, during the live broadcast, he's beginning to get very agitated. He starts to rant at the camera, turning it all around and saying that it's all about JT and he's going to find him. He's going to hunt him down. Come and get me. Come and get me. I have a really great uh, gif animation of Victor in that scene as he's like pointing at the camera and having his fist in the camera and then saying, come and get me with his hands. It's great. I made a little animation of it if you want to go to the website and check that out, yrchat.com. Just click on the link and you'll see it. It's just it's funny. I was a little pleased with it. But Victor was really getting himself heated up. He was practically turning red. And there was also a really cringe-worthy moment where he starts to talk about JT's relationship with Victoria and the fact that he that he almost punched Victoria. I mean, he Victor essentially reveals to the world that Victoria was involved in an abusive relationship with JT. I felt really bad for her and nobody even focused on that or really mentioned it very much throughout the rest of the week that now everybody knows the nature of her relationship with JT. It was cringe-worthy. And and the thing is, Victor is so adamant that JT's the one behind all of this. He's vowing to find him and bring him to justice. And since we all know that Victor is always up to something, part of me wonders if Victor was faking it 
a little bit during that interview, playing it up like maybe he was just pretending to be in a weakened state, hoping that JT is somewhere out there, thinking that it's a good time, a good opportunity to come and finish the job. Maybe Victor is just laying a trap for JT, hoping that as soon as JT gets close enough, then Victor can strike on his own. All week, there really are no other suspects in Victor's mind. Victor believes that JT is the one behind all of this, and it really couldn't ever be anyone else. All the while, Phyllis and Nikki and Sharon and Victoria are all side-eyeing each other from the sidelines, starting to doubt what actually went down on Margarita Night. They know that they buried the man. How could it be possible that he's still alive? Is it possible that he's still alive? Y&R did a really nice historical tie-in to when Sharon and Victoria were discussing that possibility, and Sharon mentioned her experience with Cameron Kirsten. This is something that we chatted about on YNR while the abuse or on YNR chat while the abuse was going down. Sharon had an almost identical situation where she had an, an abuser who she thought she killed, she thought she buried, and yet he ended up returning from the dead and coming back to haunt her and, and ending up being alive. So I think YNR is trying to present us at least with the possibility that JT could still be alive. You just never know when someone is dead or alive in Genoa City. Anything is possible. Here's my question. Victoria has been insisting that the culprit is not JT. She's telling anyone who will listen that JT couldn't be the one behind this. Why isn't anyone asking why Victoria is so certain about that? To me, Victoria has been acting so very suspicious during all of this. And I would imagine that someone, maybe Ashley, especially Ashley, would start to question why Victoria is so sure it couldn't be JT or Abby could be the one to start questioning her. I feel that Victoria's behavior is suspicious and no one is picking up on it. The whole thing with JT is such a, it's like a, a looming, impending sense of doom. All week, JT got a little bit closer to Genoa City, step by step. They are tracing his credit card all the way along the way geographically as he's getting closer and closer to us. He's just outside the Wisconsin border, or he's just outside Genoa City, staying in a motel. And... Here's my other question. If JT is back, let's say it is JT, why would he be coming after Newman Enterprises? Wouldn't he be coming after Victoria, not necessarily Victor? Or wouldn't he be coming after Nikki Newman? She's the one who cracked him over the head. Wouldn't he want to be coming after Phyllis and Sharon and Victoria as the co-conspirators and all of this? It just doesn't seem right to me that if JT were coming back, that Victor would even necessarily be his number one target. And I don't know what to make 
of the revelation we saw at the very end of Friday's show, at the very end of the show, we learn that there has been some damage done to one of the Newman Enterprises warehouses. They keep some equipment somewhere and someone broke in to this warehouse and damaged the equipment. They do happen to have some security footage that they were able to pull up. The security footage is sent to Victor, who looks at it on his computer, zoom, zoom, zooms in on it, and it's a kind of pixelated but obvious <laughs> shot of JT. It completely looks like JT's face. He's wearing a hoodie. Um, I, I, I guess we're supposed to just assume that it was JT? J.T. Hellstrom, the guy who used foot powder and scotch tape <laughs> to, dis to, to lift fingerprints off of Jack's phone one time. He's supposed to be a super sleuth. That guy is going to go into a building to damage the place and not wear a face mask? That doesn't make any sense. And why would he look directly into the camera like that? If it is JT, he's not making very smart steps. Why would he even be using his own credit card to charge his way back to Genoa City instead of using, like, stealing a credit card and using one that he 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 knows can't be traced back to him? I guess you guys will just have to forgive me while I work through my understanding of this story. Something about JT returning from the dead just to continue his vendetta against Victor, doesn't add up for me. It also, from a storyline perspective, seems like way too much of a slam dunk answer. I'm going to have to stand by <laughs> my theory from last week. I think it's plausible that there could be a twin brother of JT's who is now seeking revenge against Victor for his brother's death. I think that could, having a twin could be YNR's way of giving us, the viewers, a twist and also a way of allowing them to keep the actor around. Hmm. And I'll throw this out there too. <laughs> the the ghost of JT haunting Genoa City, that whole storyline, isn't even necessarily connected to the Newman hacker. The person who leaked Victor's medical records could end up being someone else entirely. Nicholas Newman, I've got my eye on you. <laughs> I just find it impossible to believe that Nick went from two weeks ago vowing revenge, cold-hearted revenge. I know who I have to be against Victor, and now he's right back to being the same puppy dog that he always was. He's planning a wedding with Sharon and spending his time cleaning Sharon's house from top to bottom at the break of dawn so that the social worker will think that he and Sharon are fit to raise Christian, fit to, to hat so that he can get his son back. And all the while, Victor's health, Victor's medical condition, Victor's competence are being called into question publicly. Seems a little suspicious to me. 
for crying out loud, after that juicy buzz interview, Victor is making Sharon look like the pillar of stability. And she did a really good job with that interview with the social worker, by the way. All of her explanations seemed so reasonable and so rational. She decided to seize that opportunity and just talk heart to heart with the social worker and say some of the things that she didn't have an opportunity to say in the hearing. And I thought she came off really, really well. And the social worker ended up leaving abruptly. I don't know what that means, but it seemed to me that it was left on a note of positivity. I still am not so sure that Nick and Sharon should be going through with this wedding, though, if it's potentially going to endanger Nick's permanent custody of Christian. I asked you guys last week if you thought that Sharon and Nick should be getting married right now. That was our poll question. And 55% of you said no. That's way closer than I thought it was going to be, though, because 45% of you were like, yes, Nick and Sharon, you go get married. I have a feeling that most of the yes votes were because you wanted to see the drama. <laughs> Why not? Let's let this wedding happen. Let's let it fly for the fireworks. I was uh, maybe giving a little more of a conservative in reality answer when I voted no, but you guys in the minority are probably actually right that it would be much more fun to just see <laughs> what's going to come of this. Although I will say to me, I mean, as a Nick and Sharon fan, it feels like a little bit of a bad sign that everything seemed to go so well with that meeting with the social worker. I'm worried that Nick and Sharon are just going to be on the verge of getting Christian back and maybe even walking down the aisle during fall sweeps season when it comes out that Sharon was involved in JT's death and the whole cover up with that and or that Nick was involved in the Newman Enterprises leak. It could be both. Why is everyone in Genoa City bound and determined right now to go digging up bodies? In the previews for next week's YNR, we saw Phyllis suggesting to the Margarita crew that maybe they just need to go to JT's grave, dig it up, and see what's in there. And then on top of that, we've got Jack right uh, suing to dig up the body of Philip Chancellor II so that he can get a DNA test and find out if that's his daddy. It does upset me, and I can't hide it, <laughs> to think that Jack would rather dig up a body that's been laying peacefully in the ground for 40 years then just wait two months until Philip III and Chance get back from their wilderness trip so that they can do a DNA test that way? It didn't even occur to Jack that he should try showing Dina that photo of Philip Chancellor and just asking her if maybe that's his father. That didn't even occur to him. Kyle had to suggest it to him. Jack jumped right to, let's just go dig him up, dig him up. He jumped right to exhumation as if it was as easy as digging up tulips. That's so disrespectful.
respectful and I can't put that out of my mind. All he had to, I mean, the, a first step would have just been to show Dina the photo. So thank goodness Kyle suggested that. Sure enough, Jack does show Dina the photo. She takes one look at it. She recognizes everyone in the picture and then states with perfect clarity and complete certainty that yes, Jackie, that's your father. That's Philip. I'm certain of it. That's your father. So, I mean, it's hard to know if that's the truth or not. Jack wants to take Dina's word as gold. She was clear in this moment. When she's clear, she's clear. So that's got to be it. That's enough to allow me to continue on. That's enough confirmation to allow me to continue on. I guess I'm just sticking around on the side of, I don't think this is going to end up being true. I got to make that our poll question of the week because I want to know how believable you guys are finding this whole Philip Chancellor II twist. Do you think that he's actually Jack's biological father? Go to yrchat.com, weigh in on that. I keep imagining there's going to be another twist right around the corner and that Jack is going to end up taking this really long road to finding out that John was his father all along. But maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. I don't know. I want to see how your votes are coming down on this. Who knows? Maybe this is just the direction and I need to accept it. Jack certainly does not waste any time before he sues Jill to have Philip's body exhumed so that he can confirm his DNA. Thank goodness from my perspective though that the judge turned Jack down. <laughs> the judge said, no, I don't think we're gonna take that step. But Jack's planning on just suing again and again, I suppose until he gets the answer that he wants. <sighs> the other thing that I find Maybe exciting, but disappointing in Jack. Like, maybe exciting on a character level, but disappointing on a human level <laughs> is that the next time Jack goes to court, he is planning on having Dina take the stand to tell the judge exactly what she told him, that Philip's his father. And I think that's such... It's not only a huge risk for Jack in winning his case and establishing the validity of his argument, but it's also a really big risk for Dina. I mean, what happens if she goes on the stand and has an attack? I mean, I believe on one hand that Dina... You know, if she does clearly remember Philip II and she does remember that that's Jack's father, I can understand that she might want to, in her better moments of clarity, help him uh, You know, by going through with taking the stand and providing her testimony and helping her son claim any rights that he might have. But I'm also thinking that that's just not in Dina's best interest. If, if she takes the stand and has another spell, that could be terribly heartbreaking for her. And, and Ashley saw it exactly the same way. When Ashley found out that Jack was planning on putting Dina on the stand, she was so disappointed in him. This is exactly what Graham did. 
That's what Ashley said. This is what Graham did to her. Tried to use her to get what he wants. You're no better than him. That had to hurt. I was glad that Ashley tied that back in because it was something that makes sense to connect back to previous story. But that is really a harsh judgment of Jack. I don't think that Jack is doing this in any way to hurt Dina. I think that Jack is just doing this to help himself. The thing is, Jack is this quest, this quest to get to know himself is so misguided. I think he's he's looking for answers in all of the wrong places. One of the things that I really can appreciate about Jack challenging his own paternity is the fact that it's a storyline that's bringing Cain and Devon and their relationship to Catherine into the picture. Devon is a direct descendant of Catherine. That's rarely ever mentioned, so it makes sense to me that Devon would be involved in all of this, wanting to protect Catherine's legacy as one of the carriers on of that legacy. And then we also have a lot of FaceTime right now with Cain. It gives Cain something to sink his teeth into. We're having a, a lot of tying in of Kane's past connection to the Chancellor family. It's a fact that he was pretending to be Philip Chancellor Third. He was pretending to be Jill's long-lost son. And it says something about his character that Jill was able eventually to not only forgive him, but to promote him to the head of Chancellor Industries, the company that she received as Catherine's legacy. Um, But I think all of that is really going to be in jeopardy. All Everything that Kane specifically has worked for could fall apart. I think Kane's going to have to start to fight for his life here because Jack is challenging him. Jack confronted Kane and Devon during a family dinner at the athletic club and it got really heated. It almost seemed like Jack and Kane were going to come to blows. A really important piece of information that Kane provided to us during that scene that I did not know or did not remember in the mass catalog of YNR history, Catherine, apparently, her first husband was the one who gave her Chancellor, or gave her the company that she later turned around and named Chancellor Industries. So I'm assuming that goes back before the show would have started airing, that part of Catherine's backstory was that she had this company that she received from a former husband and she had renamed it Chancellor Industries. But if that's correct, and again, I hope it is because I don't mean to in any way present you guys uh, with incorrect information, but that's what Kane said. And if that is correct, then that means that Chancellor Industries, the company, was never Philip Chancellor's. It was always Catherine's. That makes sense. But it doesn't make sense to me then how a DNA test confirming Jack as Philip Chancellor's son would entitle him to the company or to the house, really. Although I'm starting to suspect that maybe the house 
will become the more legitimate battleground, not as much the company. I mean, Jill's gonna be furious. Jill's gonna be furious. Jack already tried to sue her and she hasn't said anything to us, the audience, yet, but we know that she's coming back. She's gonna be so mad. It's gonna be so great. I cannot wait to see Jill come back and challenge the hell out of Jack. I'm hoping Kane and maybe Billy too will be right there by her side. I can't wait to see how this is going to explode. The last other thing I wanted to mention about this is that it seems everyone is assuming that Kane is really concerned about losing his position at Chancellor Industries and that's why he's getting involved in all of this. I mean, Devon has the family legacy to protect. He is part of the Chancellor line, but Kane isn't. And it comes off as schemy, maybe, that he is getting involved in all of this, but I'm not really getting that from Kane. I mean, I would probably not want to lose my job if I were him either. I think he's just trying to protect his own family and his own job. Because later we had this really beautiful stargazing scene with Lillian Kane. It was really cool. We saw Lillian Kane sitting in the lawn chairs, pictures of their faces. It's clearly night out. And then the camera shows us a beautiful night sky. And they're just looking at the stars and kind of having a philosophical conversation. It was very comfortable. It was very casual, yet it was deep and meaningful. A conversation that probably would take place between a husband and wife who are sharing a life together and trying to protect that life. And as Cain started to talk about himself and where he is, he didn't come off to me as a guy who is power hungry. I, I really don't think so. I think Cain's a man who loves his family. I think Cain's a man who enjoys his job, doesn't want to lose his job. He takes some kind of pride in it. But I also think that Cain sees how the idea of exhuming the body of a man, a human being, a person who's been so long loved and also so long gone is distasteful. It does dehumanize Philip Chancellor II. This was the love of Jill and maybe Catherine too's life, but specifically Jill. This is the love of her life and he's been lying peacefully on the grounds for so, so long. And the idea of exhumation is, is so gruesome. I, I mean, Jill was willing to trade all of her money in exchange for that emerald ring that Philip wanted her to have. Do you remember that storyline? Not even that long ago. So any, she would give everything for a little piece of Philip. And so from Kane's perspective, I'm imagining that anyone who loves and cares about Jill would just want to protect her from having to go through any more pain. Kyle is our reformed bad guy. 
instead of plotting with Victor or Jack or someone else to deceit the CEO of Jabot, he's actually crafting more ways to bring more business to the company. He was sweating this week over a business pitch that he wanted to present to Billy. And when Billy doesn't bite, Summer ends up jumping in, kind of taking over his business pitch, tweaks the idea just a little bit, and all of a sudden is able to get Billy on board and saves the day. Hey, Summer, you really know how to push someone's buttons in order to get what you want from them. What a perfect example. Summer just knew what to say to Billy to get him to jump on board, how to reframe this idea of Kyle's to get Billy to jump on board with it. Mm, She's so manipulative. Well, Summer was also sensing that Kyle needed a little loosening up. (laughs) So she invites him to go to a skinny dipping session at the dive bar. It's at night. The bar is closed, so we'll just sneak in, take our clothes off, and dive in the water. Why not? (laughs) Thank goodness Kyle went along with that, because that scene was probably the greatest part of my week. When Kyle and Summer got to the dive bar, getting ready to take off their clothes, she whips off her bikini top. I'm telling you, the way Kyle's eyes were darting from Summer's eyes to her boobs, from her eyes to her boobs, like telling himself, I I could see his internal dialogue saying, "Uh, just keep it together, don't just stare at her boobs, like all he wanted to do was stare at the boobs, but he felt obligated to also look her in the eye because they were having a conversation, so it was eyes, boobs, eyes, boobs, don't mess this up, Kyle, you're having a conversation, not just looking at boobs, it was excellent, I loved it so much, and I think the chemistry between Kyle and Summer was incredible, it was incredibly sexy. The cutest little smirk sprawled across Kyle's face as she jumps on in the water and he decides to not be a stick in the mud. He just like gets all unbuttoned and unzipped and decides to jump right on into the water with her. I loved it. I was there. I felt like I was there in that scene. It was very well done. Like you could see um, that you could just like see the reflections of the pool at night and it just looked so beautiful. And as soon as they jumped out of the pool, they were exactly the right amount of like dewy and hot. (laughs) And they were about to take things to the next level of hotness. Like they were, they dropped their towels and were getting ready to get to know each other again. (laughs) When Mariah and Tessa end up walking into the room, flipping on the light and caught them. (laughs) Both Kyle and Summer are standing there nude, obviously getting ready to get it on. Mariah and Tessa were mortified. Mariah was immediately uncomfortable because she's developed this new friendship with Kyle and she's had a long-standing rivalry with Summer. It's weird to see two people that you know getting it on. So Mariah was immediately wanting to get out of there, not wanting to engage, but Summer... As usual, she has to start baiting Mariah. She has to start poking around and seeing what kind of reaction she can get. Uh, 
Summer even invited Mariah to join them in the party, and that's when ugh, Kyle accidentally let it slip that there was more going on between Mariah and Tessa than just a friendship. Oh, gosh. Oh, that was so, so good. Summer, oh my goodness. It all started to click. <laughs> For Summer, she believed it immediately, like, oh, she, she got it. She got it immediately, and then she grabbed onto it like she was a dog with a bone. <sighs> Started going in on Mariah and Tessa, but it didn't bother me. I mean, maybe you guys had a different interpretation of that scene. Maybe you saw Summer as being insensitive toward Mariah and Tessa, but part of me thought, you know what, it's like... <sighs> Summer seems to me like an equal opportunity troublemaker. I don't think she was going in on Mariah any harder than she would have if she would have found out any other piece of information. She decided to invite them along. I mean, she wasn't like judgmental at all. I didn't think about what was going on there. She said, hey, why don't you guys join us in this skinny dip and maybe Mariah and I can even make out. And you know what? When Summer said that, I believed it. I believe that if Mariah said, fine, I'll flip off my swimsuit. That's what Tessa wanted to do, by the way. <laughs> if Mariah would have jumped in that pool, Summer would have made out with her. I mean, I just think the whole that whole scene was just Summer being Summer. Oh, but when Mariah pushed back, things definitely got a little intense. And I wouldn't want Mariah to feel uncomfortable. Although I really do think it's funny and maybe says something that Tessa was for it. She even she doesn't like Summer very much at all. But yet she was like, eh, let's have some fun. Mariah did not see it as fun. And then it escalated a little bit to an argument between the two girls. And Tessa got very defensive of Mariah. And they both rushed off. I don't even think that Mariah had a chance to grab what she came there for. Mariah has been losing a lot of things lately. She somehow left a stack of show notes at the rooftop bar and that's why she and Tessa were there in the first place. But Mariah also dropped her journal in the Hamilton Winters hallway. Um, I don't know why Mariah seems to have such a hard time hanging on to that specific journal. Tessa ended up finding it and delivers it to Mariah. Well, Mariah freaked out. Understandably, I think, seeing Tessa standing there with the very diary that she stole from Mariah and plagiarized from just a few months ago, that was a source of a very painful memory for Mariah. I completely understood why she freaked out on Tessa, but Mariah, being Mariah and being forgiving, pulls herself back. She apologizes to Tessa. They agree to bury the hatchet and uh, Mariah decides she wants to stick to the new level of friendship that she's developing with Tessa. They agree to have dinner. They go out. They seem to be having a good time, telling stories. Everything's good. Until, weird, Tessa receives a suspicious text message and it said simply XZ. It was just a message that came through that said XZ. What the heck could that mean? 
I either it's a a a typo or it's a highly sophisticated NSA level spy code that Tess is going to need to crack. Little by little, Billy is falling overboard. Uh -huh. Get it? <laughs> ah, please with myself. Uh, maybe he's starting to feel the itch to spend money after winning at that poker game the other night. But he decides to buy a company yacht for Jabot. And that's not even the best part. The absolute best part was the name he came up with. Ready for it? Jabot. <laughs> that is freaking genius. I was dying. I love puns. And that was the punniest pun that I've heard in a long time. Jabot is excellent. Whoever thought of that, I want to do a slow clap for you. Maybe even bring you into a really big hug because that's freaking funny. And Jason Thompson's delivery of that line was funny. He was in rare form. <laughs> I was gagging. Yet, Phyllis is looking at him real stern. I mean, on the surface, it seemed like she was mad about it. She rushed out of his office. She went home. And Billy was assuming that she disagreed with this what is admittedly a major purchase, an expensive decision. And I think also that Summer has been planting in Billy's mind this seed for weeks now that Phyllis is no fun. She is a disapproving authoritarian and she's not gonna agree with any of your decisions ultimately. So Billy rushes home trying to find Phyllis. He doesn't think she's there. So he's leaving this voice message for her and he's listing all of the reasons why he believes that this yacht will benefit Jabot. And honestly, as someone who was a little skeptical of his popcorn machine idea and his redoing of the CEO office, I thought that Billy's explanation of why he really wanted to use the yacht were, was really good. I thought they were all good reasons. I will give him that. What concerns me, though, is some of the language that he used. If you noticed, during that voicemail, he was leaving for Phyllis. He was telling her, I think it's a safe bet. Hmm. So now the language of betting, the language of gambling is starting to seep into his mind and into his actions. And after he hangs up the phone, Phyllis just so happens to appear at the top of the stairs, not as a like a disapproving authoritarian figure, but instead she's standing there in a sexy captain's outfit. She has the hat, <laughs> she has the jacket, she has on some um, garter or something like that. Like she was looking the part. She was the captain of the freaking love boat there. <laughs> I thought that was so summer sexy. Sexy for summer. I mean, do these two have chemistry or what? I personally think that this Billy and this Phyllis are one of the hottest couples on the show. There is so much fire between them that is an absolute 
pleasure to watch. Um, it, it's just so fun. They end up taking the party upstairs. <laughs> and what do you know? Phyllis decides to, to twist their sexy sea fantasy just a little bit and turn it into a game of strip poker. Hmm. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> she just so happened to find that deck of cards lying around the apartment and decides to challenge him to a game of strip poker. Oh. <laughs> it was sexy, but the subtext was there. And there is now this lie between them. But it ended on a positive note. They finally, after after they got it all out of their system, they lied there and they were talking to each other. And Phyllis was saying, you know, I would never tell you not to buy the yacht if your decision was to buy the yacht. I, I hope that you do remember that I'm still spontaneous too. I can still be fun too. I'm Phyllis. I am all of the things that you love and more. I thought that was a great, great moment, a great, great explanation. And I think she really redeemed herself in Billy's eyes. But after all of that, all of that, the whole, the whole, like, sea fantasy and the strip poker, they had this really amazing sex, like, after all of that, Phyllis still seemed to feel a little insecure about their love life, maybe getting stale. I'm telling you, Billy and Phyllis's idea of normal sex life is way ambitious, way ambitious. <laughs> These two have to do a lot to keep it uh, spicy. They are not not slipping. I mean, for probably mo the majority of the general public are not putting on sea captain's uniforms on a Wednesday night <laughs> to seduce their significant other. But maybe you are, and if you are, good on you. But <laughs> Summer ends up making one little comment to Phyllis as she's on her way out the door wearing a short little dress going off to who knows where. Summer makes a comment to Phyllis implying that Phyllis is boring and that maybe she's jealous that she's not going out in a sexy little dress to who knows where. And that seemed to really get up under Phyllis's skin. I think Phyllis is worried that she is boring. And so <laughs> after all the sea sex, she decides, what is this, the next night? to arrange a, a, a balcony sex session with Billy. Why not? We've never had sex there before. Let's do it in the open air, <laughs> under the night sky, on the deck. <laughs> right on the deck? In an apartment complex? I wish I lived in that apartment complex. Let me tell you, me and bathrobe Betty <laughs> standing there. Damn right, I'd be on my balcony with binoculars if my two hot neighbors were doing it on their deck. Phyllis may have been able to scratch Billy's sexual itch, but he's got another itch that someone else knows how to scratch. After Billy and Phyllis finish their session, Billy receives a series of alarming text messages from Summer. I'm in trouble. Please help me. I'll explain everything when you get here. Billy thought that Summer was in serious trouble and was needing him. I mean, I guess in a way she was in serious trouble. She, 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 This is where she went in her little short dress. She went off to the GCAC and decided to participate in a game of high-stakes poker. She ended up losing $10,000.
just ten thousand dollars in the hole in one night and so she has no money to pay it with and they're not gonna allow her to leave the room without paying so she calls Billy for help he doesn't happen to have ten thousand dollars in his wallet so what does he do well he does what any responsible adult <laughs> would do he decides to join the game and win her out of trouble Damn! <laughs> I, just, I honestly can't believe he was able to win $10,000 in one hand of poker. I am in the wrong business. I have got to learn how to pick up that skill. You can just win $10,000 in one night? Why am I not doing that? He told Phyllis earlier in the week during their uh, strip poker session that when you're good, you're good. It doesn't even matter if you have a good hand. You can still win the game. And you could tell that he felt good, too, when he won. Even though he was, like, a chastising summer, he still had this smirk on his face after he had won. It satisfied something in him. And as the game ends... He's talking to Summer, and he happens to look over, and he sees other people checking out of this game, like paying up their debts with non-cash methods, and he immediately thinks that Summer has been lying to him, that she lured him into this game, and she says, no, 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 that's not it at all. It's not that I didn't have cash. It's that I don't have any money. Summer has to admit to Billy that she blew through her entire trust fund. She is now broke. She is now in debt up to her tatas. How much money do you think that was that she blew through? It's probably an inordinate amount. An entire trust fund for a Newman child? How much money did she blow? Uh, <laughs> you know, if if I were Summer, and if Summer really hated Phyllis that much, she could just turn around and sell the condo for money and kick Billy and Phyllis out of it or offer to sell it to them. Oh, man, it puts so much more into light, though, now, now knowing that she's broke. The next day at the office, Summer's continuing to play her little games with Billy, even though he just bailed her out. Gosh, she has him right where she wants him. She's talking to him, and Billy is understandably upset. He thought he was helping Summer. He chose to help her, but it also caused him to betray his own judgment, his own better judgment. So it's not just what Summer's doing, but it's kind of what Summer's doing to him. And he starts to talk to her and tells her that he doesn't really appreciate also the awkward position that Summer's put him in when it comes to Phyllis. He doesn't want to lie to Phyllis. And Summer, in response, crafts this genius speech. I swear to you, I think she was probably at home practicing it in the mirror for the days prior. It was, it was perfectly tailored to Billy. She starts talking about how she feels like she doesn't fit in 
with this family. She never has. And she feels like they have expectations for her that she just can't ever live up to. And she just wants to have fun. She just wants to enjoy her life and discover who she is in the process. She is speaking his language. She knows exactly what his language is and she has learned it and now she is turning it back around on him. It's uh, her situation right now is basically the same circumstance, the same line of logic that Billy came back to Genoa City with. I believe that Billy had blown through his trust fund on gambling. I seem to remember Jack having to bail him out all those years ago. So now there's a camaraderie on top of the secrets that they're keeping together. Oh man, every single week, Billy gets one step closer to ruin and he doesn't even see it. Summer isn't wearing those skimpy bikinis and skimpy nighties prancing around the house because she's a poor lost little soul. Summer knows exactly what she's doing it and Billy is walking right into her trap. Remember that time that Abby and Arturo broke up for all of 12 hours after the bra incident? Arturo just ended up chasing her around town relentlessly, at home, at the coffee house, even showed up at her work because Abby wouldn't give him a reason why she abruptly left the apartment the, last night when she does tell him that she found the bra in his couch cushions, he immediately and ever so easily makes a phone call to his sister Lola and Lola describes the bra, says it's, yeah, it's mine, it looks exactly like this, it's, it's con confirmation it's definitely mine and all of Abby's concerns are just immediately alleviated. She probably feels a little foolish for jumping to these conclusions and Arturo just had an answer right away. I mean it was just almost a non-factor immediately. They they pull into each other on a passionate kiss and from the previews of next week's show apparently they're gonna end up taking it all the way. Hmm. Well, let's see if Lola, a.k.a. Shauna, accidentally walks in and interrupts them. Just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I didn't have such a suspicious soap opera watch in mind, but I do. And the scene where Arturo and Shauna casually met for the first time and they were talking about cooking skills made me think about my comments from last week that maybe Arturo and Shauna are related or in cahoots in some way. I am probably wrong, but I'd love to be right. <laughs> since I never am. Uh, well, the the incident with Charlie and Shauna ended up getting resolved almost as quickly as the incident that Arturo and Abby had. Um, Shauna and Charlie ended up 
talking and it was everything was so understandable and so relatable charlie had booked out on her because he assumed that he would be losing his virginity with shauna as she would be losing hers with him he thought it was something that would be mutual and uh you know i mean i think that that's probably something that is seen a lot i mean it makes sense that charlie would panic and pull away from her he wasn't being judgmental i think he was probably intimidated more than anything else no young guy wants to admit that he's not as experienced as his girlfriend and ever since charlie was aged he's been coming off as kind of the ladies man he's always been interested in the ladies checking out the models and so it probably was a a vision of himself that he didn't want shauna to have as as someone who is virginal and not as experienced so um realizing that these two needed a nudge to get back together hillary and lily ended up teaming up uh, not so subtly (laughs) uh, to arrange a family dinner so that Charlie and Shauna would be forced to interact with one another and as soon as there was a little bit of commotion happening at the dining room Charlie and Shauna did end up slipping away they just sat down at the coffee house and they decided to talk to one another and be honest about their experience and I really thought Shauna was very sweet and very understanding with him she didn't come off as scheming in any way at all Um, and, and Charlie really seems to like her so they decide to make their relationship official and they uh, ceremoniously changed over their relationship statuses on face place. <laughs> it was very cute. That was all wrapped up with a little bow, just like Abby and Arturo were. But now, I am a little bit concerned about the previews for next week, because... I- what about Hillary's pregnancy status? From the previews we saw on Friday, a doctor is for some reason making a house call to Devon's condo, and the doctor is saying that she's having trouble finding the baby's heartbeat. I I mean, I don't know any spoilers at all, so it's maybe it's just a false alarm, but Michelle Morgan, this just this past week, did finish filming her final scenes for the show, so I'm imagining that Hillary is going to be exited off the canvas in maybe August or September at the very latest. So since Hillary's gonna be gone, I don't know. Are they gonna have her lose the baby and are they going to have that be what breaks Devon and Hillary apart and I honestly do think here's the other tie-in here is I do think that with Hillary gone YNR is going to pair Devon with Abby we already saw little bits of hints of their chemistry during that modeling audition scene um and also Abby and Devon dated in the past I want to say that was when Marcy Marcy Ryland was playing the role so I just have a feeling that that's going to be the path that those characters are going to be moving in and if that's the case I mean I don't know do you think Devon and Abby would make a good potential couple And if Abby's not with Arturo, then that does mean that he would be toast, uh, whether he's up to something sneaky or not. I've got some good news and some bad news for you, chatters. Which do you want first? Bad news? Okay. (laughs) 
bad news to me, Eileen Davidson is leaving The Young and the Restless. Ashley is leaving the show. I am floored. Didn't see it coming. She's become a staple of the show, almost like a piece of furniture, a set piece for crying out loud. Maybe that's why she wanted to leave. I don't know. She didn't really give any explanation, just saying that she was wanting to uh, free up some time and uh, and uh, not, I guess, make her schedule a little more open. So I don't know if she's got some other projects she wants to work on. I certainly hope that the door is open for a return. She is such a phenomenal soap opera actress. I mean, she's been on several shows and she's just so good and so beautiful. I don't know. Maybe she wasn't satisfied with her storylines, but I think it probably can't just be that. I don't think you just leave just because you aren't happy with your storylines. There's got to be something more going on. I would love to see her come back if possible in the future. Or it's possible that they might recast her. Who knows? Anything is possible. But speaking of of recasts, I'm going to give you our little bit of good news. Are you ready for this? This is what we were asking for. Brooks Darnell is the actor who has been cast as Little Nate. <laughs> Prepare yourself. Little Nate is coming back onto the scene. He's probably one of the few characters that actually wouldn't need to be sore as. That character probably is 20 years old, but they're bringing him back as Dr. Nate Hastings. So he's going to be our doctor on call. And we saw him in the previews uh, having a little interaction with Neil. So I'm so sad to see Ashley go, but I'm also very excited to find out what Wyanor is going to have in store for little Nate. Who knows? Maybe he'll be in a triangle with Devon or something. Maybe they'll be fighting for Abby's affection. Would you like a popsicle? I certainly would like a popsicle. It's hot, hot, hot here today. <laughs> um, but even though I would like a popsicle, I'm not the one who said it. Devon was the one who said it last week to Hillary, trying to offer a way to help her with her morning sickness. I didn't expect as many of you to get that right, but you sure did. Ellen, Lynn, Anna, Henry, Gina, Sharita, Sheila, Nathalie, Leslie, Diana, Kara, Susan, and Candida all got it right. <laughs> Congratulations. Here's a new one for you. By all means, jump. It's a short one, a short quote this week. By all means, jump. Who said it? If you think you know, go to our website at yrchat.com to leave your guess. And if you get it right, you will get your congratulations on next week's YNR Chat. Hey, enough with all of my theorizing. Let's get to your theorizing. Daisy says... The video sure looks like JT, and it could be. He looked right in the camera, like he wanted to be seen. Perhaps a silent warning to Victoria. I love that idea, Daisy, that JT wasn't making a mistake by letting his face be seen on camera, that maybe he wanted to be seen. Silent warning. Ooh, that's good and juicy. Well, Laura says, if Nick 
is behind the security breach at Newman Enterprises in keeping with his newly declared savage personality change, then who helped him? Kevin? Ravi? Phyllis? Who else has the know-how to do that? And does Tessa have anything to do with it? XZ. We gotta figure out what Tessa is connected to here. I don't know. I thought Y&R maybe wanted to rehabilitate Tessa and make her a romantic lead for Mariah, but if she's involved in some shady stuff, that might not be the direction. So what is it? What's XZ? We gotta get some theories on that, you guys. And as Laura said, maybe she's somehow involved in the security breach, or maybe she's helping whoever is involved. Leslie also says, if Nick is the one who's behind it, Victor may already know and could be setting him up. Victor framed his own son, Adam, for murder just to teach him a lesson for a crying out loud who does that. I fear that he will frame either Sharon or Nick for JT's murder. If he had cameras in Victoria's house, uh, there may still have been, or he could have Nikki under surveillance. Victor knows things, and he holds on to the information until just the right moment to cause destruction, as he did with Christian. I'm very worried for Nick, and even more for Sharon. Dang, Leslie, I hadn't thought of that, but you, I, see, I feel like Victor is up to something. I was theorizing that maybe he's faking his illness, but maybe he just knows everything. We should probably always assume that Victor knows everything. You could be right. I know, he's always got another ace up his sleeve. Oh... Well, okay, you guys are going to really love this comment from Anna, I think, because I really connected with this. Anna says, whether JT has a twin or he dug himself out of the grave somehow, I think that YNR has cheapened a very good storyline with the domestic abuse that was so serious, so informational, relatable, and so important to tell. Anna, this is the crux, I think, of why I'm trying to make an excuse that JT's not alive and that YNR is going to do something like a twin twist because that domestic abuse storyline was so effective. It, I was, it was so immersive. I was just in it, and it, it really meant something. It, was, it felt like a monumental storyline somehow, and I 100% agree with you that it is kind of cheapening it to turn it into a ghost story. I I mean, we saw the previews for next week's YNR where Sharon and Nikki are looking out the window screaming as if they've seen a ghost. It's funny. I mean, that's funny on a level, but it's it's rough to try to take something that was so serious and turn it into a little bit of a slapsticky comedy. I don't know if YNR is trying to lighten that up, but that in and of itself, it does. It, it pulls away a little something from the seriousness and the beauty of what was a very heart-wrenching storyline. Uh, yeah. Gosh. Well, uh, here, here's a comment from Ellen saying, I just can't get into the Christian custody storyline. It doesn't make any sense. Both Phyllis and Jack love Nick. They would both testify for him about the whole Marco disaster. Phyllis should be suggesting it. And Gary also says, why isn't Phyllis doing what she does best? Haranguing Nick with a sledgehammer over using the Marco debacle to best advantage in custody case while bringing Victor down for good. 
That woman is a dog with a bone and she should never say die on this situation. Both very good points about Phyllis. Phyllis is always right there to tell Nick what to do and to push him along, especially when it comes to his relationship with Sharon. But she is very hands off when it comes to this custody case issue. Where is she offering that advice? She was so incensed over everything Victor did to her with Marco. You would think that she would be right there offering to testify, offering any kind of assistance possible. It's a little disappointing maybe that Phyllis is a pick-and-choose friend that's used for a lot of different things. I mean, maybe they just have the character involved in too much right now, and maybe if she was involved in it, I'd be complaining about her being up in everything. <laughs> but I think it's still a very good point. Oh, about our poll question for last week, should Nick and Sharon get married? Laura says, I voted yes. I want them to dig themselves into a quagmire just so that Faith can say, I told you so. <laughs> Zing, uh, that's funny. I think that's probably the reason uh, why most people wanted, wanted to see Nick and Sharon get married, just so Faith can stand there with her little finger and say, mom and dad lied to me once again. That kid's going to be screwed up. <laughs> Shakona says, here's another suspect for the Newman leak. Kane. He worked closely with JT and was one of the last people that spoke to JT. We all know that he wants power and control, and it seems like just the kind of thing that he would do. I really hadn't thought of that. Crystal here also says Kane hasn't had actual, excuse me, Kane has had actual character development and I'm sick of his past being thrown in his face and Kane not being able to respond, especially by someone as hypocritical as Neil. So we've got some pro Kane and some anti Kane. I don't know. I just didn't pick up on that. Maybe the stargazing scene washed any concerns I had about Kane far away. I think he's going to be going on the defensive when it comes to Jack and Jill. I don't know that he has exactly the motive on the Newman League. I don't know that he has the know-how. I'm not sure. We'll keep an eye on him. We'll see how he, he uh, develops. Consuela says, I loved Jack's confrontation with Kane. Jack's little smirk is so adorable. I honestly love when Jack is devious. There's just something so enduring, or excuse me, endearing about him when he's doing something a little de devilish. Diana also says, I'm enjoying Jack's character too. It's nice to see Jack on a mission and taking charge of his situation. He's always portrayed as a loser to Victor, so it's exciting to see Jack take a stand for what he believes in with such confidence. Jack's ready to take on anyone that's trying to stand in his way, which is quite a few people. It is definitely putting Jack right front burner. And as Diana says, he is in opposition to most of the town. So we're going to be seeing Jack fight for his life too. Marianne says, I agree with Allie about wanting John to be Jack's father. I would have preferred Dina to have another child by someone other than John instead. I can't get too vested in this storyline since it's probably just filler like the K. Jill or Summer Jack storylines. As I said before, it is like watching Dallas. An entire season is a dream or episodes devoted to dreams or whatever scenarios or flash forwards. 
Mary Ann, it is kind of hard for me to put away <laughs> all of the years of history of thinking that Jack is John's son and flipping my switch over and just going, okay, I guess Philip is Jack's father. I am really curious to see the poll results and comments this week because I wonder if other people are feeling that way too. I know sometimes that as longtime fans, we do want to hold really tightly to the things that we feel are core and fundamental about the show and we're so passionate about it that it's easy for us to go, no, I don't want change. And I worry that that's what I'm doing, but at the same time, I'm just having a hard time adjusting to this new potential reality. I, for one, am thinking that there is and hoping for a twist. <laughs> Daisy also says, I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle had manipulated Dina to say that Jack was not an abbot and now is Philip Chancellor's son. Kyle is a snake and seems to have an agenda against his father. Well, Daisy, we have been lulled by Kyle. I mean, I'll leave it to myself. You haven't, but I have been. And I think maybe a lot of other viewers have been. We're seeing Kyle now more in this fun, romantic role and not as the devious snake. But you could be right. We cannot sleep on Kyle. We got to keep an eye on him because even though he is being real charming right now, it's entirely possible that he is still up to something. So I'll leave it to you. I'll expect you to keep us in check on that, Daisy. <laughs> Um, Alex KG says, I really believe the show needs to create a new super couple in the traditional soap opera manner. Kyle and Mariah fit the bill. They are connected to historic YNR families, so their story will involve many people. Summer should be the first of many issues that they need to overcome together. I wonder if the majority of people are really loving Mariah and Kyle, because that seems to be a comment that I hear over and over again. I really like Mariah and Kyle. Is everybody jumped off of the Mariah Tessa bandwagon? And maybe what we're seeing is YNR quietly writing Tessa out of the picture, making her betray Mariah once again so that they can move Mariah into a direction of a relationship with Kyle. As far as her sexuality, YNR did make sure to establish Mariah saying, well, I'm attracted to women, but I'm also attracted to men. So it is possible that they're going to move her in that direction. I like their friendship even at the very least. Gary says on the Thursday's show, in the scene between Kyle and Summer, in front of the elevator at Jabot, to the left of the set, there is a little glass cube with a bottle of perfume in it. Is that the old dinosaur grandma perfume that they struck from the Jabot line? I love that you noticed this, Gary, because I saw it too. Out in that foyer, there is the display case of some past perfumes of Jabot. That's just such a beautiful tie-in to the show's history. You know that they've got those bo those sample bottles of perfume stashed in the prop room somewhere, and I think it's really, really smart and respectful of the, the new uh, head honchos at YNR to bring us those little touches of our history in our show. I looked at that scene, I downloaded that episode, and I zoomed in real close on that box, Gary, and it didn't say anything about, uh, what was the name of that perfume? It was like uh, uh, something Riche, can't remember. Didn't see that on the label, but I did see a couple bottles of an old perfume called 
Tuvia. I want to say that was maybe somewhere around turn of the century. The, uh, Jabot had developed an old line of Ashleys that she or she had developed, and Jack grabbed it and brought it into production. It was called Tuvia. So if you look at that, there's like this box that has flames on the side, and then there's a bottle. Both of those say Tuvia. Drusilla was involved in that storyline, and she was working with a chemist named, um, I think it was Damon or something like that, if that rings a bell for anyone. But I didn't see the old grandma perfume. Nouveau Riche? No, it wouldn't be Nouveau Riche. I can't remember what it was. Darn. Uh, but I think that would be a good place to put it. And I'll keep an eye on that box and see if anything else pops up that uh, are little names that I might notice. T. Nicole says, Jabot is one of the most adorable things I've ever heard. Good job to the writers on that one. Billy being all proud and excited about that name and Phyllis exhaling, he had her at Jabot. <laughs> Just pure adorable. I agree. Ellen says, Billy keeping secrets from Phyllis makes no sense. That's the Billy of years ago. Phyllis will understand that he slipped up and gambled again. Screw up Billy is a repeat storyline nobody needs to suffer through. Why throw away all of the growth that Billy has shown over the past few years? Wow, what a point, Ellen. And I agree, I have become a very good, uh, I've become a fan, a loyal fan of Billy's ever since they dropped the screw up Billy thing. Because I just can't get on board with somebody who has that repeat pattern of behavior. Like, I need people who know who they are and try to be better than it. <laughs> and I think you're right that, we're, that what Billy is doing now and going back to the gambling symbolizes a regression of the character. And it's not that people and characters can't have have missteps, but we need to learn from those missteps and move forward. So ultimately, yes, you're right. Billy needs to talk to Phyllis. He needs to get this off his chest. He needs to do something before he makes an even bigger mistake than the ones he's already made. Shakona says, I thought that also that Arturo and Shauna were connected, but not in a brother-sister way, more like a Bonnie and Clyde way. She might even not be as young as we think she is. It is so hard to not be suspicious, right, of these secondary characters who always get stuff pinned on them. Nathalie says, I know it may be crazy, but could Arturo be working undercover for Paul to bring Victor down and infiltrate the family? He has ties with Nikki and Abby, and he's working on a project with Nick. Everything's possible. <laughs> Let's talk about our casting updates here. Justin says, within months, within months, three major actresses have left YNR. Melissa Claire Egan as Chelsea, Michelle Morgan as Hillary, and now Eileen Davidson as Ashley. Maybe they don't like working with Mal. Maybe we'll end up uh, getting another executive producer and head writer again. I don't know, Justin. I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons that contributed to those. I don't know. I don't know if it has anything to do with Mal. I did see a tweet that Doug Davidson seemed not very happy with the direction that the show has taken as of late and the fact that the characters seem more plot driven than character driven. So who knows? There definitely could be some dissatisfaction going on behind the scenes. We've seen it before. We could see it again. <laughs> A lot of times YNR, even especially within the past decade, has been a little bit of a revolving door as far as who's in charge. Oh, this is something else from Tiffany here. Tiffany says, you know what? 
I think we're all going about this Hillary leaving the show thing the wrong way. We're all expecting her to leave town, maybe get a recast, but what if it's a classic mother dies during birth scenario? I mean, think about it. Devon wouldn't just let Hillary leave with the baby, and Hillary wouldn't just leave the baby behind. There's no talk of Brighton leaving, but Michelle has confirmed that she will be. Could this be possible? That didn't even ever occur to me. Not in a million years did I even think that they would be killing off the character of kill of Hillary. Killery! <laughs> it could be, Tiffany. It really could be. Oh, anguish. That would be anguish for me. But you know what? Maybe that's a good ending. If, if, if so many people really dislike the character of Hillary and so many it's, it's like an even split the amount of people that love her are matched by the people that hate her if they kill her they make the Hillary of care uh, the character of Hillary kind of um, a martyr angel like forever oh we'll miss her character and the people that hate her would be happy to see her die oh man <gasps> You might have nailed it. Oh my goodness. I, I'm excited to see what they do because I love Michelle Morgan and I think no matter what they're going to do, she's going to knock it out of the park. It's going to rip my heart out. I'm going to love it and hate it. Oh, tears, tears. <laughs> and one more thought on the casting thing here. And we'll end on this. Zuperplex asks, who would be an ideal candidate to replace Ashley? So let's say that Weiner's going to recast Ashley. Zoperplex asks who should be the recast. Um, Zoperplex suggests Valerie Wildman. Now, this is someone, I think, who was on Days of Our Lives. I don't know who that is, but I wanted to toss that out there because I'm sure you guys know who she is. Sandra had said maybe Cynthia Watros. That actress actually played the role of the original Kelly. I thought she was great. I loved Cynthia Watros, and I definitely could see her uh, being an Ashley-type character. I guess uh, for Guiding Light fans, she also played the character of Annie, so that's a possibility. And I like Diana's suggestion here of Brenda Epperson. Brenda Epperson was the actress who already played Ashley many years ago. In fact, she was the first Ashley I ever knew. This was the Ashley in the 90s who was playing the role when I was watching the show. So I think she'd be a really excellent cast. I mean, she's beautiful. If you look up pictures of her, um, oh, uh, Brenda Epperson, she's just gorgeous. She could nail it for sure. Those would be some really hard shoes to fill. But I thought we'd toss that out to the group. Thank you, Zoberplex, because that's an excellent suggestion. Let's see what everybody else can come up with. If you had to recast the role of Ashley, which actress would you pick to do it? Since I won't talk to you guys before then, I will wish a very happy 4th of July to our U.S. viewers of the show. I don't know if we're going to end up having an episode on July 4th. Usually I think they do, but it's more of a poolside, easygoing, probably at the dive bar type episode. I'll have to keep my eyes open for that. Hopefully it's a full five, because even if it's an easygoing episode, I still want my five. <laughs> Oh, but everybody be safe and enjoy your 4th of July. 
leave me some comments. That'll be good for me to read throughout the week. YRChat.com is the best place to go to leave your comments. I don't check Facebook and Twitter as much as I used to. It's just gotten a little bit hard to manage all of the comments in all of the different places. So um, my preference would be to put it at the website. And also the benefit there is that you get to interact daily with other people who are watching the show. I've probably gone a little overboard in posting there daily. Every single day, I think I'm grabbing a dozen screen caps and putting them up there on the website. But there's so many beautiful moments that I can't stop myself. I see gorgeous screen caps and I'm like, "Mm, that's mine. Mm, That's mine. And then I put them all in a gallery there in the watch and chat thread on the website. I made a gif this week of Victor doing his fists. (laughs) So I'm very much active there every day. So if you want to go there and see whatever I've got posted, um, my little photo captions and all that good stuff, as well, of course, as leaving your feedback and voting in the poll and the games and all that good stuff. Hey, if anybody ever has any good ideas for new games, I'm all ears. I'd love to get some new games going. So yrchat.com is where I check first and foremost for comments. Uh, But of course, you can still use those other venues. Um, I do check them just a little less regularly and I'm not posting there regularly. Uh, But I'm still here (laughs) and I'll be back next week. I hope everybody has a good one. I love you. Bye.